Think of all the things you may have used electricity for today. Boiling a kettle, microwaving your lunch, working on a computer, charging your phone. Things many of us take for granted. But around the world, almost 800 million people live without electricity and hundreds of millions more have an unreliable supply, meaning they may only have power for a few hours a day. Why are we still talking about energy have and have nots in 2020? There are more people without electricity today than when Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. The United Nations wants everyone to have access to energy by 2030. It's calling on businesses, investors and governments to pull together to make it happen. Is it possible? If uh, we have the right environment, if we have the right players, if we have the right rules of the road, it is something that is achievable. Or could the impact of COVID-19 see progress stall? If you're already vulnerable, it's it's even worse. You know, the pandemic's reversing decades of progress. And why Shell involved? This, of course, is part of our responsibility to, to society, but it is, of course, also a business opportunity. I'm Bryony McKenzie, and you're listening to The Energy Podcast, brought to you by Shell. Today, why doesn't everyone have access to energy? There is stark contrast between countries when it comes to energy use and how available it is. The average person in the USA has access to electricity over 99% of the year and uses around 13,000 kilowatts of electricity over that time. Meanwhile, somebody in Kenya might only have access for less than 2% of the year using 145 kilowatts in total. That's enough energy to keep a fridge going for a month. In some countries in sub-Saharan Africa and Asia, a large proportion of homes are off-grid, not supplied by a utility company. Or if they are, it's often unreliable, with frequent power cuts. Some are also at the mercy of extreme weather. In 2019, the city of Puri in Odisha in India was devastated by a cyclone. Sasuret Surav Panda is a convener for the Odisha Solar Alliance. He volunteered to help survivors of the cyclone. They were able to use lights provided by energy provider D-Light, a company in which Shell has a minority stake. The Puri city, complete electrical infrastructure was devastated and Puri was going to take around 30 days or 40 days to revive uh, its power supply. Now, because the whole city was under darkness, the solar lights, they were uh, charged during the day they, because they are so easy to charge and so easy to operate. I could charge all of them simultaneously and use it for mobile charging of these workers who were uh, working for restoration of electrical work. Even during night, the lights were used for uh, restoration work and during cyclone fund. But what does it mean to even have a small amount of electricity for the first time? Benjamin Lensinku is a livestock herder in Kajiado in Kenya. He recently bought his first home solar system from D-Light. The D-Light stays on the whole night, so the wild animals cannot dare approach our homestead. In the past, the wild animals used to jump over the goat pen, scaring the goats. The goats then would try and run away, but the hyenas would take them and go and eat them out there. But now the D-lights, bright lights shine around the area 
and chase away the hyenas. I have put the lights all over. For example, there is one for the sitting room. I have connected it so that the system is able to light all the three lights outside. And there is also a light for the bedroom. The system also connects to the TV and gives it power to turn on. There are times, especially during the times of drought, that the wild animals do not have any food. So sometimes they come and bother people. But now this delight stays on the whole night and the animals dare not approach our homestead. A delight customer in Kenya and you can hear just how much of a difference energy can make. In fact, the song you heard there was from a local musician about delight. The UN recognises that to eradicate poverty, people need access to affordable, reliable, sustainable and modern energy, known as Sustainable Development Goal number 7. Where are we with that goal? And has COVID-19 put a huge dent in the progress being made? Joining me to discuss that are Ned Tozen, CEO of Delight, Kat Harrison, Director at 60 Decibels, which conducts consumer research in Africa and Asia for companies, and Ignacio de Colonque, Chief Investment Officer for Global Energy at the International Finance Corporation, which is part of the World Bank. Ned Tozen, I want to come to you first. I mean, we heard from some D-like customers there about what it's like to have access to electricity and the difference it's made to their lives. How big an issue is access to energy? You know, it's a massive issue. There are more people without electricity today than when Thomas Edison invented the light bulb in the, the late 1800s. That means that there are 1.3 billion people without access to very basic technologies that have transformed the lives of most of the rest of the world. And uh, it means that there are worse health outcomes for these families because typically they burn kerosene for lighting and that's very dangerous and um, unhealthy to breathe in kerosene fumes. Uh, and it means that these families are typically cut off from news uh, and information and are just not able to be connected into this 21st century world uh, that we live in. Kat, that's a, that's a point I want to come to you on. I mean, it has a huge impact, as Ned said, on social and economic progress. Yeah, it does. Um, electricity is crucial for poverty alleviation, for economic growth, for improving standards of living. And, and without it, we really limit progress. Um, so with these you know, bright, reliable solar lights that actually reach more rural areas who are perhaps not uh, families who are not connected to the grid, we see children study longer and can do their homework and move on to secondary school. And we know how important education is for providing opportunities. And access to energy can provide economic opportunities as well. So um, from our research, one in five people we talk to say that they use their energy access for income generating activities and perhaps charging their neighbor's phone for a small fee, maybe even making some money when people come over to watch a football match on their TV. So it really gives people choices and, and so much more as well. I want to come on to the, to the economics in a minute, but that figure, 1.3 billion. I mean, Ignacio, I want to come to you. That is an incredibly high figure. Why is it still so high? It's 2020. 
Yeah, it is. It is incredibly high. I mean, there have there have been, there has been progress in the last uh, ten years. So uh, you know, we we should we should acknowledge that. Um, but uh, and that progress has been mainly in Asia. Uh, I think really the the two I suppose uh, areas of the world which are still have uh, very uh, high uh, rates of, of of lack of access to energy are Africa and, and South Asia. Um, so in Africa, you've got about forty five percent of the population which is uh, hasn't got access to reliable uh, electricity. You've got countries like Burkina Faso or DRC or Sierra Leone who have less than 30% of their population who have access to electricity. Those are pretty abysmal um, uh, rates uh, of electrification. So which countries are making progress? Kenya has done very well uh, in in Africa. I think the the the, the really a sort of regional star. Uh, they they've grown the electrification rate from around twenty three percent back in two thousand nine or so to now uh, around fifty percent. Um, India and uh, Indonesia are, are also good examples. I think India uh, again at the beginning of this uh, century they had uh, electrification rates of around forty three percent and now they're in excess of eighty five percent. So I think. That a few governments have done a really good job through a combination of you know, public investment and, and laws. Setting standards is, is important. Uh, we, as the World Bank Group, have an initiative around setting uh, quality assurance for uh, off-grid lighting products. Um, so that's, uh, that, that contributes uh, funding governments and helping governments fund uh, public programs for off-grid electrification is, is also important. I think World Bank has invested about $1.2 billion in, in Africa in the last couple, uh, couple of years. Um, and and then uh, as multilaterals also trying to uh, find and, and support new business models from the private sector. You mentioned private companies and, and Ned, you're the CEO of one of the companies that Shell uh, has invested in. How's D-Light specifically tackling the problem? So we really think of energy access like a ladder and a journey. And we started D-Light with a mission to eradicate kerosene lamps for 100 million people by 2020. And our first products were affordable solar lanterns. Uh, They were low cost enough that they didn't require financing. And uh, as technology evolved, we grew our products into solar home systems. We've gone into appliances, things like TVs and fans and radios and even smartphones that can be, you know, uh, charged with solar. And really thinking about the whole ecosystem of products that can be used with the solar home system. And um, there's been the uh, consumer financing side too, because in many of our markets, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, mobile money has really taken off and that's enabled us to um, have customers pay a deposit for the more expensive products and pay affordable daily rates that would be similar to what they might pay for things like kerosene or um, you know energy alternatives that they would have. Uh, and that's really enabled us to crack this affordability problem because with a solar home system, if it's a few hundred dollars, uh, really it's out of reach for the vast majority of customers who we're trying to reach. Ignacio, can you put a monetary figure on what it would take to fix the problem? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a difficult one. Look, I, I think um, if, if you look at, for example, um, we, we believe... Um, that by 2030, there's going to be a need, for example, for around uh, 
200,000 mini-grids, uh, mainly in, in, in Africa. Uh, and our estimate is it's, it'll cost probably around $220 billion uh, just for the, for, for the mini-grids, not including you know, solar home uh, systems and, and other uh, similar type of, of uh, appliances. So the scale is, is significant. I would say, though, that it is a manageable scale. It is something that if uh, we have the right uh, environment, if we have the right players, if we have the right rules of the road, uh, it is something that is 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 achievable. I want to to come on to the reason that we're all having this conversation in the comfort of our own homes and and not in person. It's obviously COVID, which has been a a huge spanner in the works for so many sexes and so many industries. Uh, Kat, I want to come to you, really. What impact has it had on on energy access on the current situation? Yeah, uh, the impact has been massive Uh, on all of us around the globe. But if you're already vulnerable, it's it's even worse. You know, the pandemic's reversing decades of progress on many development goals, even Um, as I, I quite like really resonated with me. The UN Secretary General said, although COVID affects every person and community, it does not do so equally it has exposed and exacerbated existing inequalities and injustices. And I think that's what we're really seeing. Um, From our work, we've seen that more than four in five of the 19,000 people uh, we've talked to across Africa and Asia since the pandemic began have said their financial health as a family has got worse. A third have even had to cut their food consumption um, to cope with the effects, which is normally a sign of real extreme distress. Um, And three quarters have had to use some coping mechanism to help them weather this storm. So things like using money um, the family had been saving, borrowing money or even selling an asset, which will really affect um, long term resilience and ability to recover. Um, We've seen the economic impact be harder for people living in countries with the strictest government measures um, because that kind of restriction on ability to earn an income and move around um, has really impacted families' ability to earn and work and and, um, have income for their family. The IEA, the International Energy Agency, estimates there'll be a 20% drop in energy investment globally. Ignacio, is that the kind of figure that the IFC is, is seeing? Yeah, I think it's 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 difficult to say. I, I think I think to to Kat's point, um, uh, we're seeing uh, both families, but also governments struggle uh, with with COVID nineteen. Uh, you know, I think uh, on the uh, World Bank estimates there will be about uh, over seventy million people which will be pushed into extreme poverty uh, due to COVID nineteen, um, and governments are really borrowing to try to support uh, the populations in these difficult times. As a result of that, the ability for governments, and particularly in places like Africa, where a lot of the um, electricity companies are, are state-owned, the ability to continue to invest in expanding access is going to be limited. Um, so I think uh, we're definitely going to be seeing, and we are seeing, an impact on public finances, which will ultimately impact the services that are being provided by public utilities. I just want to, to come to the um, to the point around donations. And I know that Shell has recently announced a series of donations to energy access companies to help customers and communities who have been financially impacted by COVID. Um, a network of investors and industry associations have recently launched an energy access relief fund to help companies uh, weather the crisis. Is it enough? Can more be done? 
we, we were one of the recipients of some of the um, relief funding that Shell provided. And specifically, we wanted this funding not for us as a company. We wanted to go directly to our customers uh, to enable them to essentially subsidize their energy payments. And uh, so I think there's a short-term need for this kind of relief, but I would encourage that relief to go direct to the customers as much as possible or towards, um, you know, for companies who might be more on the edge financially, um, probably directed more towards um, making sure that they can retain some of the local staff that they've um, they've built up. Because I do think that there's a responsibility from the investors and the lenders that have backed these companies to also continue to back them I'd up. I'd love to just add here that I totally agree with Annette. I think ensuring that the funding really does have a positive impact on customers and that funding is passed down is key. Um, I think thinking about ways to have more targeted funding for the most um, vulnerable customers is important. But the one thing as well with, you know, a lot of events or shocks or disasters, we see a lot of attention in the early days, weeks and months. And I think for many of these families, you know, the road to recovery is going to be long term. So I think a focus on ensuring that that funding is available for longer than the next month or two is going to be critical to, to getting customers, companies and sort of the sector back back on that positive path of progress that that was happening before yeah let's go back to that to that positive path Kat and um, what are you seeing trends wise or things that are new and innovative and, and inspiring either in terms of investment or policy or within businesses that you think might see genuine progress towards providing that universal energy access perhaps one that just really stands out for you yeah i think for me what i'm really enjoying there's been a lot of conversation in the sector recently about plans to build back better so all about doing more than getting people and economies back on their feet quickly um about triggering and triggering investment and changes that will reduce you know the effect of future shocks to increase hopefully all of our resilience to them. Um, And I think what I love seeing is the business model innovations that so many companies are testing with with end users in mind. And of course, some of it's partly driven for a desire for scale and profit, um, but it also has the positive effects of experimenting with ways to deliver what people really need and want and really meeting that demand. Um, One company in Sierra Leone offer financing on these smaller portable solar lanterns as a step to essentially build a credit profile so that families can move up that energy ladder that Ned was talking about and so that they can then move on to get financing on larger systems which perhaps meet more of their household needs um, if they're able to sort of show they're a reliable payer. Ignacio, your thoughts? So I would say mini grids and improving improving uh, utilities are two big, big areas. And I think maybe also to to, to Ned and, and Kat's point, I think the other thing that we're doing is on the consumer fr- uh, front, uh, trying to see how we can work with uh, local commercial banks uh, and local local financial institutions to uh, expand the, uh, the access to financing for consumers so that they can afford um, cleaner and more sustainable energy. So that's another, uh, a third leg of of of, uh, of what we're trying to do uh, in in this space, Ned. I'll let you have the the last word on this. What's the next rung of the ladder? What do you want to to see happen next? Where are we going? Uh, I think there's amazing innovations that have been happening on efficiency of devices, and I think this is an area to really focus on because 
if you can do more with less energy, then you can give the customer more and more. So we've um, innovated a really energy efficient TV, for example, that's it's a pretty big TV. It's a 32 inch TV, but has less than 15 watts of power consumption, which is you know pretty impressive. Um, so you don't need a lot of power. What's yeah? What's 15 watts? What would that? What would that I mean, power? Uh, yeah, like in a typical um, like home in a developed world, that might be one light bulb or half of one light bulb, you know, <laughs> that you would have. It depends on how energy efficient your light bulbs are. So I guess that, <laughs> but, but, you know, that gives you, gives you some sense, but it's, it's pretty low amount of energy. Typically TVs will be hundreds of Watts, <clears throat> you know, to give you a sense. If we can, you know, really work with these, um, appliance companies to figure out how to optimize the energy efficiency of those devices, uh, we'll be able to make those kinds of technologies access to many more people, uh, whether it's through mini grids, whether it's through distributed solar solutions and, um, ultimately, just means you need a lot less power to really enable customers to have that experience of the grid. Ned Tozen of D-Light, Kat Tarrison from 60 Decibels and Ignacio de Colonge from the International Finance Corporation. Thanks for joining me today. Shell invests in companies and projects providing reliable energy access from rooftop solar and home solar systems to mini grids and larger grid scale reliable power projects. I'm joined now by Mark Van Gerven, who's the Vice President of Onshore Renewable Power for Shell. Why are energy companies like Shell and others involved in energy access? Well, companies like Shell, of course, have been part of the um, infrastructure build out in the energy space. And this is a natural extension, of course, of that effort. The people that we are targeting in the space really have not been uh, connected to the electricity network so far. Um, and this, of course, is uh, part of our responsibility to, to society, but it is, of course, also a business opportunity that we seek to uh, engage in. You mentioned it's a business opportunity. So energy companies are necessary. Why don't utility companies supply the people in these areas? We, we do have experience in scaling up infrastructure, and I think that that is one of the important elements in this industry right now that uh, companies like Shell can provide is the support, uh, the knowledge that we have in power generation, uh, but not only that, mainly also in scaling up infrastructure, right? This is a very large task. Uh, we've set ourselves the goal of 100 million people to be reached by 2030. And that's a massive task, uh, which requires companies with experience, scale, and also the financial uh, muscle uh, to provide uh, the the last mile and the access to, to energy for the, for the people that we're talking about here. In this podcast, we've been speaking to Ignacio de Colonge from the International Finance Corporation. And he told us that COVID-19 has had a huge impact on investment in access to energy. Do you see any energy companies pulling out of their commitments? Well, over, overall, of course, there is a heightened uh, awareness of the need for energy and how, how important it is. I mean, we are talking right now using energy. It, it makes the connection possible even in lockdown situations. So it is, if anything, the importance of energy and the access to energy has come more into the forefront. 
Mark van Gerven, thanks for joining me today. COVID-19 has disrupted a lot of things and progress towards a more equal world in terms of access to energy is one of them. But with continued focus on technological innovation, greater financing and collaboration between governments and private companies, experts say the long-term outlook is bright. You've been listening to the Energy Podcast presented by me, Bryony McKenzie, and brought to you by Shell. You can find the Energy Podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google. Just hit subscribe to listen and to hear the other episodes on all things energy related. The Energy Podcast was produced by Fresh Air Production. And I must remind you that the views you've heard today are those of the people featured and not Shell or its affiliates. Thank you for listening and goodbye.